not worthy of him. And so here's the crisis. Here's the moment of decision. of what I would like to convey this morning can be summarized in two words, follow me. It's just that simple. Uh, we're aware, <clears throat> no doubt, those of us who have any knowledge of, of the scripture, and uh, that uh, this was the invitation of Christ that was given uh, to people as he encountered them uh, to follow me. Um, it's a very simple thing to understand. It's not that elaborate. It's not as though you need to uh, uh, do massive word studies or something. It's simply Jesus saying, wherever you are, leave where you are, come to where I am. And from now on, wherever I go, that's where you need to be. Uh, if I stop along the way, you need to stop. If I get up in the morning, you need to get up in the morning. And if I'm heading on down the road, you need to head on down the road. Uh, it's, it's, it's just not that difficult. Uh, it's very simple follow me. On the other hand, um, this is a radical uh, challenge to our lives and it is a radical crisis that comes to us if you are ever face to face with Jesus and he says, follow me. This is what Levi uh, came to understand in the passage that we're looking at in uh, Mark chapter 2. Uh, Levi, who is also uh, known as Matthew, and so if you hear me say Matthew and Levi and Levi and Matthew, uh, they're, they're the same person. This is the, uh, uh, the author or the one through whom uh, the Gospel of Matthew was uh, recorded for us uh, and, and inspired, and so um, a, a great figure, but this, this is where it begins in his relationship with Jesus. He was sitting at his tax table, Jesus came by, follow me, Matthew got up and went with him. Uh, this was no small thing. You see, Jesus had just been out in the countryside. Um, if you remember when we read in verse 13 that Jesus got up and he left uh, the city and he uh, went out beside the sea. Now, this was his custom. He had just been engaged in a, uh, a lot of ministry and a lot of teaching and a lot of crowds and people were amazed. And uh, when that happened, Jesus would retreat to spend quality time with the Father to sort of reconnect and recharge uh, his, uh, uh, his spiritual lines of communication if you will, and so he was looking for some quiet time, and as so often, the people wouldn't let him have it. Uh, they uh, followed him out of the city, and when he got to a quiet place, turned around, there were all these folks waiting to be taught. And so the scripture says that he went out, the crowd came to him, and he was teaching them. At this point in the ministry of Jesus, very early on in uh, the, the, uh, the ministry, uh, Jesus is very popular. Uh, there are people who uh, speak well of him. They are amazed at the miracles. Uh, it's better than television. It is quite entertaining, and so you have nothing to do. What do you want to do tonight? Well, let's go listen to Jesus, okay? Uh, you know, he says some strange things. That's all right. You don't have to pay attention to that. I just like the way he does it. And so you, you go out and you listen to Jesus, and you forgot to take a lunch, but 
sure enough, they've got the, uh, the, the food taken care of. And, and so you have this nice event with Jesus. The crowds were coming out to him. They, they loved the way that he would tweak the noses of the religious leaders. And, and he uh, said things that uh, just were so clear. And then some things that were so uh, confounding. Uh, but nonetheless, he was quite popular at this time. So the people are coming out and they are uh, gravitating towards him. Scripture says he taught them. No doubt uh, things such as the Sermon on the Mount, no doubt such things as the parables. Uh, I think we might understand the teaching of Jesus summarized uh, in this way. Actually, back in chapter 1, verse 15, uh, uh, the uh, Gospel of Mark says that Jesus went out and he was telling people, you know, the time is, is at hand. The time is now. God is working right now. Amen, Jesus. This is really great to hear. God is at work in our lives. God is in control. And we can just trust God for everything. So the time is at hand. The time is now. God is, is working right now. The kingdom of God is near. Wow, that moment when all the bad people are going to be done away with and us good people are going to be exalted. That day is coming and we can just have hope and we can just, just rejoice in the fact that the kingdom of God is coming. It's great. The time is at hand. It's right now the kingdom is near. Repent, forget that, and, and then believe in the gospel. Just have faith in the good news of God. Why? You'll just feel better, and you'll be motivated, and, and it'll just be so relevant for your life. So the time is now. God is working. Repent, and believe the gospel. You see, it's that repent part we don't want to hear. And I'm pretty sure that the people bypass the repent part because that's what we bypass all the time. We have trained ourselves to come and to listen to the Word of God. We have trained ourselves to read the Scriptures and to read about all the things that are helpful to us, but we have a filter in our brain that keeps the stuff about our need to repent of our sins. We filter that out so it doesn't quite feel so bad, and we know how to get around it. And so I'm pretty sure that people miss that. But I'm pretty sure Jesus taught it. In fact, I'm positive. God is at work and he's bringing his judgment to earth. Repent and believe the gospel. So it was a great time of teaching. This is what the people heard, that God's work was right now. It wasn't buried in the past, but it was a present thing. Just a wonderful, wonderful promise of God. The folks had gone out. They'd heard all these wonderful promises principles, insights on life, and now they were heading home. Uh, they'd gone out by the sea, they were heading home, and as you get back to the city, you walk in through the city gate. Imagine Jesus walking in, sort of a crowd uh, around him, and everybody's just sort of happy, and those who, who can get close to him, that, that's really cool. And, and as he's walking in, there, as always, is a fellow named Levi. He is a tax collector. What this means is that he has the local tax collection franchise. Uh, in, uh, in the uh, uh, governmental system, the, uh, the Roman Empire that, had, that dominated and oppressed the land had decided that Herod would be their, their king guy, and so Herod had to get taxes to pay Rome, and so Herod farmed out the taxes. You had a, a franchise. You'd get the, the, the town franchise, and you'd set your tax booth up at the city gate. 
And the deal was that uh, you had to raise so much in taxes, but anything you raised above that was yours to keep. Now you can imagine the honesty of the tax collectors and how they did not work this system to their own advantage, but by and large, when you came through, they would tax you to the hilt, pay off their franchise fee early on, and they just live off of the rest. And so it was a good life for Levi. He had plenty of money, he had a nice house, he had the kinds of friends that money can buy. Uh, he, he could amuse himself, he was, he was a little bit feared, and he mistook that for respect in the community. Everybody knew Levi, and as you came into the city, if you were carrying anything, a, a catch of fish or some bread you had baked, or you were carrying in some clothing you had made that you were going to sell, whatever it is, Levi would say, hey, come over here, you owe me money. And so Levi... Uh, had the tax collection franchise. Now, what this meant was that by and large, he was despised by the majority of people. He was despised because he was a traitor to the nation of Israel. He was a traitor to his own community. He was a collaborator with the Romans and with Herod. He was not to be trusted. He was hated and despised. In addition to that, he had been um, excommunicated from the synagogue. As a tax collector, evidence indicates to us that he was not allowed to worship in the synagogue. Probably didn't make much difference to Levi because, after all, uh, those folks in, in the synagogue are nothing but religious hypocrites. And, you know, the, the explanation people give is why they don't go to synagogue or church. And so uh, he, he couldn't go to synagogue. He was despised by the people. But on balance, it was a nice uh, way to make a living because you had the tax franchise uh, there and you could pretty much have your own way with everyone as they uh, came through. Now as they're walking in uh, into the city they see Levi. You couldn't miss him. Everybody knew he would be there and you know Levi may have heard something about this Jesus and okay he's, he's one of those religious guys and for once Levi doesn't say hey you come here. For once somebody comes to his table without him asking. He looks up and there's Jesus. What is Jesus going to say? No. Most of the other people in town, if they had me like this, they'd look me in the eye and they'd wag their finger in my face and say, you bad person. You are a bad, bad person. Don't you know better? Didn't your mama raise you better than that? You know, and on and on it go, you bad, bad person. And Jesus looks him in the eye and all he says is, follow me. That's all he says. Follow me. Do you get the sense of grace that is just flowing through the words of Jesus? If Jesus had said, Levi, you are betraying your people, and these are the people of God, the apple of his eye, Hence, judgment and lightning had come down and fried him on the spot. The people would have been amazed. The people would have been happy. And that would have been just. Jesus says, you know, Levi, I've got something in mind for you. And I want to show you what it is. Follow me. You know, Levi, everybody else thinks you're just about as worthless a human being as there possibly could be. But I have something else in mind for you. Follow me.
Levi, I know how your brain is so twisted around your money that it seems like you'll never be free of materialism. But Levi, I have something better in mind for you. Follow me. Levi, I know that in your quietest moments, it hurts. And it hurts badly. But I have something in mind for you. Follow me. It would be interesting to know if later on a man named Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, heard about what Jesus had done with Levi. You remember the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus was coming into town, and Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming. Why did that matter to Zacchaeus? Well, he'd heard about Levi. He'd gone to the tax collector convention. And while they were there, they were sharing stories. Levi wasn't there, and so Zacchaeus said, where's Levi? Don't you know what happened to Levi? No, what happened? He got religion. No, yes, he gave up the whole franchise. You're kidding, he had the best territory. Well, he did. And now he's walking around with this some guy named Jesus. Really? I wish I had that kind of guts to leave this thing I call my life. And so he hears that Jesus is coming into town, and Zacchaeus figures, you know, if it worked for Levi, maybe for me. So he runs over to try to see Jesus, can't, climbs up in the tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Lord, oh, I'm sorry. I apologize for quoting scripture. So, but as Jesus is coming by, Jesus stops and says, you know, Zacchaeus, I've got something different in mind for you too. You come down. Let's have dinner together, and I want to show you what it's all about. It'd be interesting to know if that's what happened. I'd like to think it does, but anyway. So Jesus stands in front of Levi, and he says, you follow me. It's the same invitation he gave to Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip. It's the same invitation he gave to his earliest disciples that they would walk with him. Now you see, to follow the teaching of Jesus is vitally important. I mean, Jesus himself said at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, look, the one who keeps my words, who obeys what I'm talking about here, who follows my teaching, is like a guy who builds his house on a rock. He's got a good foundation, and when the wind and the waves come, the house stands. But the person who disobeys my word and ignores my teaching, that person is like someone who built his house upon the sand, and when the wind and the waves came, they wash out the foundation out from under it, and the whole house collapses. So keeping and following the teaching of Jesus is vitally important. But it cannot be truly a reality unless we are following Jesus, the man, the person. You see, there's so much in the teaching of Jesus that challenges us and elevates our thinking and gives us a better perspective just on life. I mean, you can read the teachings of Jesus sort of in that historical way if you like, but there's something about Jesus himself that when you know him and walk with him, his teaching comes alive within you. And so the 
crucial challenge is in front of Matthew. His whole life, he's been living for himself. He's got this franchise. Everything's set up. He has finally made it. And Jesus comes and says, you know, Levi, I want you to follow me. That's the challenge. Not just follow the teachings or extract some principles from what I say or just try to live a better life based on what you hear me say. But Levi, I want you to follow me. Where I go, I want you to come with me. And that's the challenge right there. Now, I want to speak for a moment. If you have your Bible, you'll see it. It's the little space between the closed quotes after follow me and the next word in my translation is the word and. There's a little space there in the English. I would like to preach on the space. It's funny how much theology there is in the spaces between verses and words, but there's a space there. You see, we know the end of the story. We know what happens to Matthew and all that. So we just sort of glossed right over that space. But I can imagine that when Matthew or Levi told the story, he would say, you know, I was at my table. Jesus came to me and he said, follow me. And I'm telling you, folks, I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I didn't know what to do. There's Jesus in front of me. And he says, follow me. There's no way that Levi could know where this pathway would lead him. There's no way he could know that he would be traveling and away from home for the rest of his life. There was no way he would know the confusion and the, con and the confounding nature of following Jesus to the cross. There's no way he could imagine the glory of the resurrection. There's no way he could envision serving the body of Christ by being the one through whom a gospel is brought to the church. There's no way he could have seen what this pathway would mean. All he knew is Jesus said, follow me. Set your eyes on me get up and where I go you go with me it's a great unknown and it's scary and it's frightening he could not have realized yet the details of what it meant to following Jesus but there it was there was the invitation and in that space before the next word there's a crisis going on it's a critical moment in Levi's life. What do you do when Jesus comes to you and says, follow me? Are you living in the space right now? You hear the invitation, follow me, and you don't know quite what it's going to mean. All you know is that Jesus, who is Lord, has given you this invitation. What do you do when Christ calls you out of lazy, unthinking faith that it might become a dynamic, personal relationship? What do you do when Jesus says, I want you to leave behind the cold, lifeless religion of your life and come and walk in a living relationship with Christ? What do you do when Jesus says that being a disciple of his is more than the, the thin veneer of Christianity, but it is rather walking with Jesus. And that's the crisis of the invitation. Follow me. And here's where we get clever. Here's where we get very inventive. Here's why we can start to explain why we're not exactly going to follow 
Jesus. You see, one guy heard Jesus say to him, follow me. But this man said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Yes, Lord, I want to follow you, but you know I have family obligations. I'm supposed to bury my father, and yeah, I know he's not dead yet. I need to take care of him until he dies. So when I've taken care of all my family obligations and done all the things that are expected of me, Jesus, then I will follow you. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another fellow said to Jesus, you know, I'll follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at home. Let me just go back and say goodbye to my friends. They'll worry about me if I don't tell them what I'm doing. I've got a few loose ends to tie up and just a couple of things to settle. But let me just go back and, and, and finish up a, a, a few things. And then, Lord, I will follow you. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Evidently, following Jesus was important to Jesus. We are not the first to come up with explanations. Jesus, yes, I will follow you, uh, but you have to understand my situation. You have to understand that at work, you know, I've got to, I've got to go along with things. You, you've got to understand that this world is hard and, and it's difficult and if, and if you act too much like a religious fanatic, you'll never get anywhere. Jesus, I'm doing you a favor, by the way, by not following you so closely because that way um, I have more credibility with my friends. And, you know, uh, come on. We are incredibly inventive in explaining to Jesus why we are not doing what he has asked us to do. That moment comes and he says, follow me. You see, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to deny yourself and take up a cross daily and follow him. Jesus said that if we are unwilling to take up the cross and follow him, we are not worthy of him. And so here's the crisis. Here's the moment of decision. Follow me. Matthew. Frozen for the distance of the space between the words. What will he do? Because the answer will make all the difference. Follow me and then answer no and it will mean the same old, same old. Say no and it will mean that you will simply be sunk more and more deeply into the materialism of your world, into the hatred of the world into the bitterness of the world. Say no to Jesus and you will walk in darkness for the rest of your life. Say no to him all your life and you will live in darkness for all eternity. It makes a difference how you answer. But oh, say yes to Jesus. And the greatest adventure begins at that moment. You don't know where he's taking you? Fine, you just know he'll be there. You don't know what's going to happen? Fine, you just know he'll be there. You're unsure of how it's going to have an impact on all these various aspects of your life. Wonderful, all you know is Jesus will be there because you are following him in the great adventure of faith. And so that's the crisis. That's the crisis. And the scripture says... 
and I don't know, I just had visions of angels up in heaven just rejoicing. And as, as I've been told that they are doing spiritual fist pumps and roundhouse kicks because the next line is this, and he rose and followed him. This is no small thing. The income, gone. The comfort, gone. The certainty, gone. Do you remember what happened when the rich young ruler came to Jesus? He said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, as you're reading the scripture, it's, it's okay to try to, to figure out what his motivation is. I think, it, it, I think he, he was saying it's something like this. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because you and I both know, whatever it is, I've done it. These people need to hear you tell me that I'm okay. So, what must I do? Jesus said, well, you know the commandments, don't you? Jesus, not only do I know the commandments, I have kept the commandments from my youth up. I'm telling you, I am a commandment keeper first class. I have got that nailed. Beam, beam, beam. Jesus said to him, you know, there's something you're lacking. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by what Jesus had said, this rich young man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions chained around his neck like an anchor as he was being thrown into the sea. How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. You see, there's the crisis. It's so easy to understand, so hard to answer. When Jesus says, follow me. For Levi, the love of Jesus meant more to him in that moment than wealth or position. And now he began a journey without a place to lay his head. He began a journey in which he sold everything for the sake of following Christ. Now, rather than being in charge, he became a servant who would pass out baskets filled with multiplied food. And when it was all over, he would be the busboy collecting the mess afterwards. Now he was coming to a life that the only thing he knew was this. Wherever I see Jesus, I need to be there. And wherever he goes, I want to go there. Whatever he does, that's what I want to do. And whatever he says, that's what I want to obey. All he knew now was that he loved Jesus more than anything else. You know what I think our problem is? I know what my problem is. I'll tell you what yours are later. <laughs> Most of us have this idea that Jesus goes with me to help me. And so wherever I go in life, Jesus will go with me, and when I need him, he will help me. 
And if I go over here, Jesus will come with me. What is that a picture of? Jesus following me. I think most of us have this idea that we can go about life according to our own whim and that Jesus just has to follow us. When we get in trouble, then we cash in on the faith thing, but by and large, he is following us around. It turns out that we are to follow Jesus around. That he's the one who sets the agenda. It turns out that we are to be so in love with Jesus that we want to be where he goes. And so when he walks the path of suffering, gladly we walk with him. When he walks the path of radical forgiveness, we walk with him. When Jesus walks the path of loving the unlovely and embracing the unembraceable, we want to walk with him. When Jesus walks the path that leads into places of great danger, we want to be with him. When Jesus walks through the valley of the shadow, we want to be with him. Because our greatest joy and only desire is that he would be exalted and glorified as Lord in our hearts and lives. Let me give you um, what I think is a, as a, just a, a practical illustration of what we're talking about uh, at this point. Um, Sunday nights in our discipleship training classes, uh, I am uh, showing videos uh, about how to raise children. Uh, and then I am commenting and uh, telling people where the video made a mistake and giving them the wisdom of the ages that I have. And so uh, if you ever see perfectly behaved children in the church, uh, you can thank me uh, for that because I'm teaching parents how to do that. If they are misbehaving, well, I can't do a thing with them. And, uh, um, and so, but, but we're studying this class, and, and it's, it, it's a great, great class, and it's, it's biblically based and very Christian-centered. But there are basic rules or principles for raising children. I'm giving them to you real quick, and you can come tonight and get the rest of the class. But uh, when you're raising your children, have a goal for your children. You know, what is it you're trying to accomplish uh, with your kids? Uh, model what you teach. Uh, let them see you as an example. Uh, spend time in building a relationship where you are bonded together so that you're in their life early and often so that in those teenage years you're still in their life and, and you're no stranger to their lives. Review and reshape what you're doing. In other words, what worked today won't work tomorrow. Be flexible in all this. H have love and limits for your children. You know, love them unconditionally but, but put limits on behavior and consequences and those kinds of things. These are marvelous principles. I hope you wrote them down and are applying them to your life. But there's a way to read them as I just did without once mentioning Christ. And this is what we do. We take the truth of God's word, we pull out some principles to live by, and we just sort of think, wow, we're doing gospel stuff because I'm, I'm applying principles. Here's how it should work. The goal for our children is that they would know and love Jesus Christ with a passion that consumes their lives. Our goal is not that our children would be happy, but that they would be holy unto the Lord. We will model what we teach because we want our children to see Jesus Christ in our lives. 
And so when they wonder what it means to be a Christian, to believe in Jesus Christ, they don't have to look any farther than mom and dad to see someone who's sold out to Jesus. We want to model a, 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 what it means to be a believer in Christ, that Jesus would be seen in us in all his grandeur and all his beauty, that our children could not help but fall in love with him too. We spend time building a relationship that bonds because we want our children to understand they have a father in heaven who loves them far more than an earthly father ever could. And we build this relationship so that we might walk hand in hand with our children to the throne of God's grace. We review and reshape what we're doing because Christ is Lord and the Holy Spirit is free to accomplish great things with fallible people. And we have love and limits because this is how God loves us. You see the difference? One is extracting principles. The other is walking with a person. One is just having a set of ideas. The other is knowing the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. You see the difference? See, when Jesus says, follow me, he is inviting us to move beyond mere uh, principles and beyond just helpful insights and hints on how to live and to move into a personal walk with Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of life. And so when he said to Levi, you follow me, he was saying, Levi, I'm going to reshape who you are and remake who you are. I'm going to do things you couldn't even imagine. You wouldn't understand it if I explained it to you now. But Matthew, I want you, Levi, I want you to follow me. And that's the essence of being a believer in Jesus Christ. I would invite each person in this room first to follow Jesus in salvation. To follow Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, for the cleansing and the remaking of your life. Jesus Christ died for us. He died for our sins. And his blood makes us clean again. And when we follow Jesus in salvation, we put our faith, our hope, our trust in Christ as Savior. But then to follow Christ as Lord, as our example, to walk in his steps. It may mean suffering, but we want to be with him. It may be colliding with a hostile world, but we want to be with him. Follow him in forgiving others, in loving others, in having compassion on others, in a ridiculous kind of way. We just want to be with him. To follow Christ so that we might glorify the Father and be like Jesus. The invitation is clear. And Christ confronts us with a call to follow him. What stands in your way this morning? What explanation, what excuse, what rationalization are you giving to Jesus to explain why you are clutching the tax table and you won't let go and you won't follow Jesus? Christ, though, in grace and mercy, still comes to us. As often as we may have failed him, he still comes to us. Follow me. Follow me in simple trust and obedience. Follow me. Would you pray with me, please?
Father, in our best moments, we do want to follow Christ. But so often we are found wanting. So often we are more impressed with our reasons and rationalizations than we are with Jesus. And so it amazes us that you still call us and Christ still invites us in spite of all our sinful disobedience and lazy neglect, still we hear the voice of Christ calling us to follow him. I pray, Father, that this would be a moment of faith for us and that today and tomorrow and our whole life long, we would be found walking in the footsteps of Jesus. For your glory, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude our service, the invitation of God's grace is to respond to the call and the invitation to follow Christ. And as you feel the Holy Spirit moving you to make a decision for Jesus, to accept him as Lord, to follow him in baptism and church membership, this, these are the moments in which we, we are asked to follow him and so do so quickly and obediently as we sing.